You're listening to another great message from Northside Community Church. Our title tonight is uh, Staying Cool When the Heat Is On. Because conflict is something that affects all of us. And you know, the Bible has a lot to say about conflict. Uh, That's a theme that runs right through the Bible from beginning to end. Conflict between individuals, conflict between families, and conflict even between nations. And so uh, that's our theme tonight. And in one of the best known incidents of conflict in the whole of the New Testament, it involves the great apostle Paul. We read these verses. I'm going to read from Acts chapter 15. Please concentrate. We haven't got these on the screen tonight, but just let these words uh, burn into your subconscious as you get a sense of what this incident would have been like for the great apostle Paul. Sometime later, Paul said to Barnabas, that was his colleague in ministry, let us go back and visit the believers in every town where we preach the word of the Lord. Let us find out how they're getting along. Barnabas wanted to take John Mark with them. But Paul did not think it was right to take him with them because he'd not stayed to the end of their mission. This was on a previous trip. But he turned back and left them in Pamphylia. There was a sharp argument and they separated. Get that. okay? Here's Paul, Barnabas, two of the greats of the, of the early church. They separated. Barnabas took Mark and sailed off to Cyprus while Paul chose Silas and left commended by the believers to the care of the Lord's grace. He went through Syria and Cilicia, strengthening the churches and so on. Uh, So there's the verse, verse 39. Look at that. There was a sharp argument and Paul and Barnabas separated. Uh, The argument, of course, was over this guy, John Mark. And uh, he'd been part of the earlier mission trip. But for some reason, you know, got called back home and uh, hadn't completed the journey. And whilst Barnabas was very forgiving, this really got up the nose of Paul and said, no, no, we're not going to take that guy. He's not a stayer. Can't afford to take him and have him leave halfway through. So uh, there's the backdrop to the message tonight. So uh, let's join together in prayer and really seek God's guidance, shall we? Father God, we've acknowledged tonight by the show of hands that we're, in, we're all involved in conflict in some way or another that this is something that affects all of us. Uh, Lord, we pray that, that we will tap in tonight to the power of the Holy Spirit to choose the right words to say when we are confronted with a conflict situation. Uh, may we, as people who believe in you, who are seeking to walk in your ways, may we choose words that won't inflame the situation, but rather choose words that will assist to bring about a reconciliation. So guide us to that end in this very practical uh, message tonight things that will help us in our day-by-day experience we pray through Jesus Christ our Lord amen tonight in this message I want to give you five things to say five things to say in a conflict situation let me take you back to something happened to me uh, many years ago in Adelaide one of the great privileges of ministry is being able to minister to families in their time of grief and loss Uh, it's one of it's an awesome privilege uh, but it's also a, a bit scary and a bit daunting particularly when you don't know the people. Most of my funerals over the years have been with families whom I am meeting for the first time. And I recall one in Adelaide where I was called to the situation. And as I walked into the room, I just feel a little bit of tension. Uh, There were about 10 people, a daughter, a son, uh, cousins, kids, grandchildren. It was all there. Uh, An elderly lady had died. And of course, part of my role is to try to get some things to say for the, the tribute. 
And I said, what would you like to say? I said to the lady who was uh, hosting me in her home, the daughter, I said, what, what sort of things would you like to say about mum? Uh, having not met her, I didn't know her. And, and she said, well, you know, uh, that's not easy to answer that question. I, and never is, that's okay. And so I, I started to go around the rest of the room. Nobody else wanted to say a word. And I finally came back to this daughter. I said, like, you know, we, we'll need a, a couple of, you know, comments Beyond, he never said, a, or she never said a bad word about anybody. That's that's standard. Uh, that's always in there. Uh, beyond that, you know, we have to think, and the lady. That's always the starting point. He never said a bad word about anybody like that. That's a given. <clears throat> that's a given. Now, I said, you know, is there anything we can really say about Mum, her background, her experiences? She said, "Listen, Reverend, can I say something?" I said, "Oh, please, you know, that's what I want you to do." She said, listen, there's a lot of tension in this family and you're going to find at the funeral on Wednesday there's going to be a lot of tension at that funeral. <laughs> that's what you want at a funeral, isn't it? Tension. <laughs> and I said, oh, that's interesting. She said, we're a divided family. She said, you'll find there'll be little cousins there on, on Thursday who'll be held back by family members from having contact with other little cousins on the other side of the room. And the cousins won't even know what it's about. But this has been going on for a long time. Oh, gosh, I'm sort of sad. And then she said, most of the problems in this family can be attributed to the lady who'll be in that box. Okay. So uh, anything else we want to say about mum, you know? Uh, i got to tell you, that, that was a very short conflict. Uh, right, conflict. Sorry, a tribute, rather. A very short tribute. Now, guys, I'm aware that sermons on conflict can arouse guilt within within uh, the listeners, uh, particularly if it's a, a Christian group like this, um, you know, the thinking is, you know, good Christians should never get angry. That's something we should never do. So to counter that, I want to say right at the outset, conflict is inevitable. It really is. It's inevitable in relationships and it's not necessarily a bad thing. I mean, conflict can be a catalyst that actually strengthens a relationship uh, as we uh, get to discover what the other party is, is uh, passionate about, conflict within teams and groups can, can serve to uh, uh, sort of maximise understanding and cooperation and move you forward to the next chapter once you're going to sort out that issue. Uh, so, so conflict is not a bad thing. In any situation involving people, many factors affect the likelihood of conflict. Uh, I mean, there are many things we can do to minimise conflict and to create harmonious relationships for example those of you who are married you know in a marriage uh, lots of affirmation uh, expressions of support gestures of practical help and uh, opportunities for open communication my favorite spontaneous acts of affection uh, these sort of things if they're all built into your marriage that can minimize the chances of of conflict stack of other things you can do uh, which can uh, reduce the the likelihood uh, the same in a, in a working environment, yeah. organisationally. You can minimise conflict with, by, by ensuring there's clarity around the goals and objectives of the organisation, uh, incentives and rewards, clear communication. When these things are there, the chances of, of harmony are, are greatly strengthened. When they're not, the chances of conflict rise quite significantly. Uh, now, when conflict does arise, what we say is of crucial importance because those words can either fan the flames or they can help to douse the flame so uh, tonight we're not so much talking about what to do to minimize conflict we're going straight to the scenario where conflict is already a reality okay 
And so now we're moving into what, what do you say when conflict is already there? How can you say things that will ease the strain rather than inflame it? Uh, where, because our choice of words is crucial uh, when conflict reaches the point where it has to be dealt with. So, guys, the words being featured tonight are designed to move us from pure emotion to resolution. There's a lot of emotion uh, in, in conflict. A lot of heat is generated by situations of, of conflict. And that's where the damage is done. Am I right? You know, that's where the damage is done. That's where the, that, that's where the words are said that can never be taken back. That's where actions may, may be taken that leave, a life, that leave lifelong scars. I deal with this kind of thing in my pastoral work all the time. People can remember things that were said, things that were done in their family, among their friends way, way back. And it affects them long term. That's why it's important for Christians under the guidance of the Holy Spirit to choose these words that are going to help the situation rather than those that are going to uh, cause more damage. It's important to have appropriate words. Uh, I'm not being presumptuous enough to suggest that these are the only words. They're just a selection. There are many more we can use, but these have certainly worked for me. The first thing we can say in a conflict situation is this, we need to talk. We need to talk. Not may we talk, not can we talk. It has to be more assertive than that. If we want to break the impasse, we need to talk. In any conflict situation, the effective permanent resolution is only found, only discovered when people start to talk about what's going on within them. Sometimes this message about the need to talk can come in indirect ways. Uh, not necessarily these words, but that's the spirit of what's being said. Um, I share with the morning congregation something that happened to me in the very, very early days of our marriage. Uh, my wife Bev and I, we had a little girl called Tamara. We were, she was just a little baby when we went to Adelaide for our first ministry. And uh, you've got to understand, yeah, my, my background, my scripting as a dad was uh, based on, a, I guess, a fairly chauvinistic model. You know, the, the, the guys went out to work and the, the, the ladies stayed home and looked after the baby. So I thought, well, my wife will understand that I, I can't be getting up to the baby at night because, I mean, I've got to face a whole day's work. I'm involved in a very, uh, you know challenging ministry uh, straight out of college uh, she'll understand well well graciously Bev my wife did understand for quite a while but then one night one fateful memorable night which I will never forget this is a defining moment in our marriage little Tamara started to cry she often did at night you know and started to really cry and I'm thinking gee darling you're leaving a little bit late tonight to get up you know I look look I was learning you know in early days don't be too harsh uh, I mean, I was in an era, I was in an era, I was one of the first dads in my friend, among my friends to actually go in for the birth. That was considered still in the, in the uh, early 70s to be a sort of a, ooh, you know, that's pretty, uh, that's pretty heavy duty going into the birth. Whoa. Uh, so, you know, it was early days of a more liberal approach to these things. And my wife stood bolt up, or sat bolt up in, upright in bed and she said just very quietly but very assertively, I'm not going to take this anymore. She said, oh. Take what, darling? Uh, <laughs> you know, just trying to stall a little bit. <laughs> she said this, you know, like me getting up every night. It's just not fair. I've got a life to live as well. You know, I, I, it's draining on me. I'm, I'm getting fatigued. I'm, not, I'm just not handling this too well. I'm not going to take this anymore. Now, let me tell you, if you're starting out in marriage or you're contemplating one day getting marriage, success in marriage is largely dependent on your response to what I call the defining moments of marriage. Now, now that, was a, that was a defining moment, you know what I mean? Because if I'd uh, taken a wrong turn at that point, 
Uh, I may not be here uh, tonight <laughs> celebrating my uh, wonderful marriage to Bev. I mean, it was a defining moment. And uh, after that, we, came, we became an equal opportunity home. Uh, yeah. And uh, <laughs> I chose bathing because, uh, you know, I don't like surprises. So, uh, <laughs> and, uh, and I, also, I also took my turn at getting up at night, which was very hard for me because those of you who know me, I, I sleep so deeply and, and it's really hard for me to get up. But I, I managed to do it. And um, well, there it was. See, so Bev was saying, we, we need to talk. Uh, and we need to resolve this. Here's the second thing. It's important we resolve this matter. Don't you agree? Now, those, those last three words are very important because they, they turn the words from a statement into a question. It's important we resolve this. Don't you agree? For the sake of the kids, for the stability of our marriage, for the viability of the organisation if it's in a work situation, you know, for the survival of our friendship, it's important we resolve this. Don't you agree? Sometimes we've got to take that sort of assertive step to break the impasse in a conflict situation. Proverbs 15.1 says, A gentle answer quiets anger, but a harsh one stirs it up. And I think if expressed in a calm and sensitive way, that, that statement, I think, qualifies as a gentle one, as does number three. And it's this. I'm trying to understand where you're coming from. I'm trying to understand where you're coming from. For this expression of empathy to not only be felt, but, but also stated, that's of great importance. It's, it's one thing to feel it, but it's another thing to actually state it and get some conversation happening. It can be music to the ears, that statement, to the person whose aggression is being fueled by feelings of, of frustration over their perception that nobody's listening, that, uh, that everybody's refusing to take their viewpoint seriously. It can be gold to that sort of person. To be able to express number three, we must first have the maturity, the emotional intelligence to ask questions like, why is this person behaving this way? You know, what, what's, what's prompting this this behaviour, what's causing them to react so strongly? In my own case, I'm inclined to think that this, this question probably has helped to unlock many conflict situations in which I've been involved as a, as a pastor. Uh, let me take you back again to the very first year of my, of my ministry out of college. And uh, uh, if you think I'm reasonably enthusiastic now, you should have seen me in my 20s. Uh, I was going to change the world in one year, flat maximum. That was the most... It was the, the sort of the objective that I'd given myself, um, kind of. And, uh, and so I, I ran into something called uh, eldership conflict. Uh, I was in a church which had a very long tradition. And the elders who sat around the table had been around for a long time. And they'd seen a lot of young uh, guys out of college come and go. And uh, there was one particular elder, and we'll call him Dave. Uh, it wasn't his real name, but his real name really distinguishes him uh, and might trace him back to you. might be one of your relatives. So uh, let's call him Dave. And Dave would just, we, we would just clash all the time. And I mean, I wasn't, it wasn't crazy stuff. I wanted to sort of uh, soup up the services a little bit, you know, get a little bit of uh, contemporary music happening instead of just the organ, things like that, which these days are just non-issues. But uh, those of us in the 70s, we pioneered all this sort of stuff. Uh, it wasn't all that radical. I wanted us to be a bit more relevant in the community. And we would be butting heads all the time to the point where even the other elders would say, oh, look, Dave, you know, come on, mate. You know, he's, he's, it's a reasonable idea. What's the problem? And he'd say, nope, no way in the world. Well, I decided I, I just had to go and speak to this guy over coffee. And so I did. I went to the city 
just to try to answer this question, you know, I'm trying to understand where you're coming from. And I made an incredible discovery. This man worked for a government department, okay, where he was in his uh, late 50s at that time. He'd been sidelined consistently over a period of many years and had, uh, had been given the title of uh, training officer. Okay? And so he was the one who sort of uh, took people through, you know, how to turn on an overhead projector, how to set up a whiteboard. It was very, very, this was a guy in his 50s, you know, and he'd been in this organisation many years. Always getting bypassed for promotion by young men and women out of university, out of college. And it was driving him mad. There was a lot of pent-up anger. In the work situation, he could do nothing about these young graduates out of college. But in the church situation where he was an elder, wow, he really had some clout. And the psychology was so deep, he didn't even understand what was happening. You know? And so over a period of weeks and months, we, we talked through all this and we even got a little bit of help at one point. And my relationship with David changed dramatically because uh, we were able to ease his sense of frustration in work and heighten his sense of value in the church and so on. But you know, there's, always, there's nearly always a reason why people are reacting so strongly. And of course, our entry into the world of emotional intelligence comes when we have the insight and the courage, and it takes courage, to ask, why am I reacting this way? What's causing this strong response in me? What's in my background that where this issue that we're dealing with presses a really hot button with me? I think this may be the kind of thing Jesus had in mind when he said in Matthew chapter 7, verse 3. He says, Why then do you look at the speck in your brother's eye and pay no attention to the big log in your own eye? Jesus, I mean, this is stand-up material in those days. I mean, it doesn't grab us all that much, but uh, you're not roaring around the floor. But uh, in Jesus' day, that would have been considered like sort of humour. You know, uh, trying to, you know what, what are you always worrying about what the other people... Look at the problems you've got yourself. Why are you reacting this way? What's your, what are your issues? You know? Well, here's the fourth thing we can say. I feel. Now, those of you who have done any counselling or psychological training, you know that this is, this is the, the foundation point. For, um, you know, for, for the, this is the basic building block when it comes to health and harmony within relationships. The acknowledgement and the ownership of our own feelings. The refusal to launch into an accusatory mode and dump all the responsibility onto the other party. You know, this is all your fault. You're the problem here. Again, this involves maturity. I feel requires presence of mind it requires control of emotions to be able to speak in this way it has the advantage of minimizing the chances of of a harsh and defensive reaction from the other party it also allows for the fact that we may have misunderstood where they're coming from I mean that's that's the big advantage in this I feel gives the person to say, oh look I can see how you feel that but look no it's and and there you go you know um, again, um, it's amazing the illustrations you, you can give uh, about uh, family life when your wife doesn't attend an evening service. Uh, <laughs> but you can check with her. She, she'd agree with this. Like, Bev and I, <laughs> Bev and I are very different, right? You know, um, I'm, I'm reasonably outgoing. Bev is a very 
quiet and uh, you know behind the scenes kind of person and that's what makes our another factor makes our marriage I think work so well because we're not sort of like competing with each other that emotional level we just complement each other so um, something that's gone down with us a few times where, where, where Bev might have said to me on, on occasion something like this you know here's a choice right she's going to say and this is how she generally says it you know I, I feel like you abandoned me tonight you know like you, you dump me in front of all those people that you know well and yet I didn't know them and you, you know I find that really challenging because you know I, I don't know how to you know, entertain these people as your friends I mean I, I just need to be easy you did it tonight and I really felt as though you kind of abandoned me what, what was going on there you know now I can respond to that and have had, have, have had to over the years quite a few times that's a far cry from what were you thinking you dumped me in there with all your friends. You ran off and you had a great time. I didn't know what to say. I didn't know I'm from, you know, from Adam. What was going on there? You know, sometimes I feel like you just don't get me, do you? And then there's your mother. And I remember we were over at her place the other day and it kind of snowballs, you see. That sort of, it's sort of, it, it sort of compounds, you see. Now, Bevy, fortunately, she generally takes the first option and that's, uh, you can respond to that. I mean, that's liable to get one, that second one's liable to get one reaction and one reaction only. What do you mean I don't, that's not, you, are you crazy? And, like, and that's sort of, you know, we have to defend ourselves and, and, and it gets escalated. Um, actually, the sequel to all this is, I'll often say something like, darling, I didn't mean to abandon you. You're growing in confidence all the time. <laughs> and I just thought this was a golden opportunity to just let you kind of just stretch, stretch those wings a little bit. And yeah, we, what, what's wrong with that? What? What? That's that's gold, gold. <laughs> well, yeah, I, I got to handle that one very carefully. I got to admit that. Yeah. Now, look, guys. Like all these suggestions, it's not necessarily going to be effective every time. But in my experience, it's a long way ahead of that easy option of blame and accusation. You did this. You did that. It's your fault. That gets one reaction and one reaction only. So, what's the fifth thing I'm suggesting we can say to minimise conflict? And this one can be the hardest of all. It really can be. But it's also the most effective. And here it is. Either I'm sorry or I forgive you. One of these statements will frequently be the one that facilitates the ultimate resolution to the conflict. In Jesus' story of the prodigal son, can you imagine, can you imagine the hurt and the pain that that father would have experienced, you know, his son comes to him, Dad, sorry, I know you're going to die one day, but look, I can't wait around for that. Uh, can I have all my share right now? And he heads off to the far country, blows the whole lot. And like there'd be a lot of pain in that father's heart. I mean, I'm talking from a dad's point of view. You know, your son just throws your love and your affection in your face and roars off and does his own thing. That's painful for any dad. Where's the turning point come? Where does the turning point for reconciliation come? It's when the son, in the depths of despair, in a faraway place, down on his luck, no money, no, just living with pigs. And he says, I'll go to my father and I'll say, Father, I've sinned. I'm sorry for what I've done. And that was the beginning of that beautiful reconciliation. And on the, on the theme of I forgive you, tucked away in the second letter to Timothy, in chapter, uh, Second Timothy chapter, let's have a look here. Um, this is the one that, uh, that indicates that you know, there's a, there was a resolution to this sharp argument that we referred to earlier. It's chapter 4, verses 9 to 11. Look at this. Here's Paul. He says to Timothy, listen to this. Do your best to come to me soon, 
Demas fell in love with this present world and has deserted me. Must have been rough traveling with Paul because like all these guys are deserting him. Um, and he says, uh, he went to Thessalonica. Crescens went to Galatia, another deserter. Titus to Dalmatia, another guy who couldn't take it. Only Luke is with me. Get Mark. Get Mark and bring him with you because he can help me in the work. See, after the Acts reference, deep over into Paul's ministry many years later, get Mark. I've forgiven him for that original desertion. We can work together. We must work together. Get Mark and bring him to me. Isn't that beautiful? Somewhere along the line, Paul had said those three words which represent one of the most Christ-like things we can do. I forgive you. It means swallowing pride. It means rejecting revenge. It means letting go of of the hurts and grievances that would otherwise just pull us right down. It can mean resolving a conflict that that has caused us pain and suffering over many years. I know people sit on conflicts for years. I could be speaking to somebody tonight and, and the source of your pain in life can be traced back to a conflict within your family or among your friends or with an ex-wife or husband and it's killing you. you know, uh, that's not how life is meant to be lived. This is, this is serious stuff. We've got to keep short accounts. Is it wrong for Christians to be involved in conflict? Not according to my Bible. No way. Uh, there's a familiar verse in uh, Ephesians 4.26 and I've put it up tonight in the message form. Look at this. This, I think this crystallizes the whole thing. Go ahead and be angry, says Paul. You do well to be angry, but don't use your anger as fuel for revenge and don't stay angry. Don't go to bed angry. Now, there's short accounts for you. He's saying clear it up on the one day. That's the ideal. Don't let it simmer for days or weeks or certainly not for a, a lifetime. Don't give the devil that kind of foothold in your life. Now, guys, we've been talking tonight about conflict resolution in biblical terms, we're talking about reconciliation. And over in, uh, in Corinthians, there's a, a very, very powerful uh, passage, which is known to numbers of you, I know. It's in the fifth chapter, verse 17 and following. Paul says, anyone who is joined to Christ is a new being. The old is gone. The new has come. All this is done by God, who through Christ changed us, watch this, from enemies into his friends and has given us the task of making others his friends also our message is that God was making all human beings his friends through Christ God did not keep an account of their sins and he's given us the message which tells how he makes them his friends this is the heart of the gospel it's about reconciliation it's about resolving the conflict that exists between a loving holy God and his fallen creation that's us and that's at the heart of the Bible message. We've got a problem. We've got a, a, our, we've got a problem called the human condition, which needs to be fixed. We need to be reconciled to God, our maker, our creator, our heavenly father. And so some of these points are, are involved in, the, in our response to the gospel message. We need to talk. God, we need to talk. I need to start the conversation that moves me to, to reconciliation with you. It's important we resolve this. This is God saying to us, it's important we resolve this. You're my child. I want you in my family. I want you reconciled to me. I forgive you. In our case, I'm sorry. That's repentance. In God's case, I forgive you. That's grace. So guys, I don't know where you are with reconciliation, the need for for conflict resolution, but maybe some of these points hopefully will, will help you. But the greater question is, 
Have you been reconciled to God? Are you living in harmony with him? Have you made your peace with him? That's what we're all about tonight. The greatest invitation I can give to you is come and be reconciled. Come and make your peace with God through Jesus. That's why he died on the cross. It was God's way of saying, I forgive you. Take, take this gift on board and all will be forgiven. And I'll move into your life and daily make a difference in enabling you to become the person you are meant to become. Conflict resolution. The ultimate conflict resolution is us putting our hands firmly into the hand of Jesus Christ and saying, God, I'm coming home. I'm coming home. I'm sorry. I accept your forgiveness. I want to be reconciled with you.